This episode was brought to you by the great people on Patreon. Dave, Greg, Ryan, Dan, Ian Urza, Kevin, James, Ashley, Greg and Pearl, Raul, Joel, Brian, Amy, Ian West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, who is very excited, as in, like, this is the highlight of my year for black cats and goblins and broomsticks and ghosts and covens of witches with all their hosts to descend upon the Father and Son Watch Horror podcast this week, next week, and five more weeks after that. Totally. Um, We are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And we are kicking off our franchise review of Halloween with all things Michael Myers. That means we're skipping Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, but we'll come back to that at some point. But we're focusing on Michael leading up to the release of Halloween Kills on October 15th. And darn you, Delta, it better drop on October 15th. So... Of course, we got to start by discussing the classic 1978 film, John Carpenter's Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town. 15 years ago. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. Totally charted. Sure, sure. sure. The only reason she babysits is to have Halloween. And to do this right, we called in a Halloween superfan, podcasting OG, and the man with the coolest name in horror podcasting, the host of Land of the Creeps. Welcome back, Mr. Greg Amortis. Ow! Go Hira! Go Hira! Oh wait, we're talking Halloween tonight. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was you, Jax. No. Okay. I wish. I wish we could talk about about Godzilla together, Greg. Every single episode, every single week. That would be great. We should just start a Godzilla podcast. I'm sure we'd run out of movies eventually, but it Never. would be a fun ride. Never. No. I'm super excited, Pastor Matt, and of course Jackson. Uh, it's going to be exciting, man. I'm so freaking stoked. It's Halloween, dude. You know what that means. Oh yeah. Something tells me you've seen this movie before. Oh, something tells me I've already watched it twice today. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I can't imagine anyone listening to this who hasn't seen John Carpenter's Halloween multiple times. But anyway, the IMDb synopsis reads, 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, to kill again. Now, Greg, I know you've told this story on Land of the Creeps several times, I believe, and maybe also on HMP, if memory serves, but when did you first see John Carpenter's Halloween? All right. 
I officially know the date. I used to always say between the ages of seven to nine, but I do know 1981, which I would have been nine years old, Greg Amortis, uh, was definitely the television debut. I think it was CBS put it out in 1981, and that was the night that I came home trick-or-treating little 13-inch black-and-white TV in my bedroom and scared to death when I saw this in black. It's even creepier in black-and-white, guys and gals. I'm telling you. Holy cow. And I was mesmerized. Never could. I, I couldn't quit watching, dude. So that's where it started. I kind of like to see it in black and white. I don't think I've ever seen it in black and white. I saw it on a 13-inch, too, but mm-hmm. but I'll get to that in a second. Jackson, what about you? When did you first see Halloween? Um, I can't remember. It's one of those things. I, I would say the, the thing that I can most pinpoint is when it became a yearly tradition. That's, like, a lot easier for me to remember because I probably logged it on Letterboxd. So uh, according to Letterboxd, this first became a tradition for me in October of 2018. Of course, I've watched it, I watched it probably half a dozen times before that. Um, and I, I probably watched it, I don't know, when I was 11 or 12 for the first time all the way through. Um, but I've, I've seen it on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, cable, pretty much everything except blazer disc and black and white i haven't seen it in black and white yet i've seen friday the 13th part six in black and white and that that was great but um never oh, halloween wow. but uh, i've yet to see it in theaters I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to fix that this coming month of the dollar theater in my town if they play it they did last year and i, I couldn't make it but um yeah if, if that if that uh, comes together that'll be epic but yeah two times i'm watching halloween this month as well as the rest of the halloween movies so i will be thoroughly michael myers uh satisfied i guess by the time halloween kills comes out absolutely yeah and i saw it on a tv as a kid too uh greg I, maybe the same broadcast i think i was about the same age because we're roughly the same age we are and yeah and i think i was about nine when i first saw it and it was the edited but it, um, I, what I saw, what I remember is the edited but extended version. Yes. Uh, right. They, they they didn't have enough runtime for TV, so they added scenes. Right, Greg? Yes. They added the uh, they actually added a scene with kind of the um, um, sanitarium where they were inside and they were doing like a board meeting, which is really odd. I kind of dig it, but it's an odd scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, really too long for a movie, so I, was, I understand why. But then also the scene where Jamie Lee's got her towel over her head and, you know, Linda comes in a bar, a blouse. That was such an odd moment, too. Yeah. So lit and everything. So I'm like, yeah, they did add about three or four different scenes. Yeah. Have you seen, Jackson, the TV extended version? No, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. I had never heard oh, of yeah. that. Um, I've, I've never heard of them adding stuff for TV. I've only ever heard of of them taking stuff out. And I guess it makes sense. I mean, this movie's 85 minutes with credits. So if you want to if you want to fill a two hour time slot with commercials and the movie, you're going to need to add a few more scenes. That, that does make sense. But uh, yeah, I've never it, I mean, couldn't they have added some more horror scenes? Why'd they add a scene where where Lori's friend bars yeah. a blouse? I, I don't think they gave them a whole ton of money to go do some research for TV. But once upon a time, this will this will make Greg and I sound like uh, old men. But, you know, back before streaming and even before video stores, I mean, the movie of the week on like CBS or ABC or whatever was a big deal, wasn't it, Greg? I mean, that's how if you were too young to go to the theater to see like The Jerk or The Blues Brothers or Halloween, that's where you saw it, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Movie of the week was the highlight of anybody's life. Like that was it because not a lot of people were going to theaters. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was like epic. So to get that Halloween put on movie of the week like that is just freaking 
insane. And Jackson, I highly recommend searching it out. It's not going to blow your mind away, but it does give a different feel. It really honestly does. So you definitely check that out. Cool. Yeah. Now, the screenplay, of course, penned by the great John Carpenter and the late Deborah Hill. Um, and she doesn't get enough credit, I think. And I'll talk more about that here in a second. But on the one hand, this is a low-budget slasher. Some people would argue that it invented the modern slasher. But as Bruce Campbell stated in Eli Ross' History of Horror, it's the Cadillac of <laughs> slashers, right? It's, it's the one that really uh, set the mold that everyone else tried to break and i'll go ahead and spoil this i agree with greg that i don't think any film after it really touched it to be honest any slasher um that not that they're not great slashers after that but i i all think they're pale imitations of of halloween i mean sean cunningham admitted that as soon as halloween was a hit he calls victor miller and says we're going to make this movie called friday 13th we're going to rip off halloween yeah. You know, I mean, he's and he's never deviated from that story. And of course, he he'd had a history of doing that. He made a, a soccer movie called Manny's Orphans, which was a rip off of the Bad News Bears. I mean, that was his M.O., man. That's <laughs> what he did. Um, but man, I mean, the backstory behind this, you've got Erwin Yablans and Mustafa Akkad. They just had the idea of a low budget movie of a maniac stalking babysitters. They had seen Assault on Precinct 13. They dug it. And so they contact John Carpenter and he's like, yep, I'll do it, but I want final cut and I want my name above the credits. And so then they take what is essentially kind of the proto slasher model we'd seen and like Alice, Sweet Alice or Bay of Blood or whatever, but they twisted it in a brilliant way. I mean, you add the great character of Dr. Loomis, which, of course, Jackson, you're taking film now. What film does that reference? Uh, well, I guess, yeah, Psycho is, is the one. Yes. I, was, I was thinking of another connection in this movie. Of course, there is an actress with with an interesting stage name. But yes, yep. it is a, it is indeed a reference to to Psycho, a, a kind of a, a short-lived character there with Sam Loomis and, and Psycho. He's not as, well, I guess then again, Dr. Loomis in this movie doesn't do much either. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that reference. And again, this is, you're going back to talking about Halloween as like it invented slashers and something that people also argue is Psycho. So Psycho and Halloween, kind of invented the slasher genre but they're better than all of the the slashers that took inspiration from them oh yeah i i agree with that and we'll talk more about that but the other twist is the killer has no motivation other than he may be the boogeyman or fate or as john carpenter's always described him just a force of nature evil incarnate which i'm not sure i'd i'd ever seen done before i don't think i'd seen that kind of killer before had you greg no, no. I mean, this is a totally different feel and a different killer of any genre, man. I mean, you always had, you know, in the 70s, you had the giallo and you had the gloved, you know, killer and everything, but nothing like this, not a force per se. So, yeah, I totally agree. Right, because in the giallos, a lot of the time you almost had like a Scooby-Doo ending, right? At the end, it's like the killer is revealed and he, <laughs> he spells out his kind of weird motivation, you know, for whatever it was that set him off. You know, now in the later films, they're going to try to explain what's going on with Michael Myers. But according to John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, he's the boogeyman. He's just evil incarnate. He doesn't have any motivation. He just he's just evil. That's just all there is to it. Purely and simple evil. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And that's and there's, you know, sometimes genius is simplicity, right? Just strip it down. And here he is. It's not 
you know, it's not Jason defending his territory or avenging his mother. It's not it's not any of that kind of stuff or the weirdest one pieces where it's just, you know, I was playing with a nudie puzzle and how dare you interrupt me? Um, you know, that that kind of stuff. It's just Michael Myers is evil. And I loved that more than when they tried to explain it. But we'll get to that in in in, in future ones. But uh, Jackson, what about you? What do you think of that twist? Yeah, I, I love that idea that Michael is – that he has no motivation. He's killing just because. Um, and, and something that I do want to track as we go throughout the, the franchise is who Michael Myers is as a character, like who he is to the public and who he really is and, and what he's not, I guess, specifically. Um, and like you said, in the first movie, he's he's nothing. He's just at the – at a young age, he, like we said, with no motive, he just kills his sister. Fifteen years later, he's killing teenage girls again. Um, and uh, we really get the most information about Michael's character from Loomis when he's monologuing about uh, his, his evil eyes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I absolutely love that. The and, devil's eyes. Yeah, which is a great line and a great, I think, the best bit of acting in the movie um, comes from from uh, Loomis and that that scene, but yeah, I, I don't know. He's got something supernatural going on with him. We know that much. Uh, we we can we can tell that there's something not totally human about him because he has the strength to you know he, he lifts Bob with a and skewers him to the wall with a kitchen knife. He takes several shots to the chest. You know the actual amount varies between Halloween and Halloween two, which is really funny <laughs> because in Halloween two Loomis is like six times, six times, six times. He keeps saying the wrong number over and over and over again. I shot him six times. I shot him six times. I, I shot him in the heart. I can't have gotten very far. Come on. I shot him six times. <laughs> um, but uh, but Michael survives quite a bit in this uh, in this movie. Uh, and if we're just thinking about like purely logical, which I don't think you you should ever. Oh, really and do we'll, we'll get into because I I don't know about you guys. I don't know if either one of you. Um, I I broke down and bought all the new Shout Factory Halloween <laughs> Blu-rays that are coming out. Oh, Which I, is like, how many copies of Halloween do you think you have, Greg? Oh, at least probably fifteen. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. VHS and Blu-rays and 4Ks and steelbooks and, uh, yeah, yeah. Now I feel bad. I've got one and I don't even have it with me. I watched this online. <laughs> well, I watched the because the latest one I have is a 35th anniversary Blu-ray, which has the commentary with Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. And I watched that yesterday. I hadn't watched the commentary before and some of the other special features, uh, which was w really cool. But we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about the kills and all the other kind of stuff. But, you know, when I thought one of the th other things, other than the twist that the killer has no real motivation and, and you have this character who's kind of driving things and doing exposition dumps. So I think they're the best exposition dumps probably in horror film history by Donald Pleasance as, as Sam Loomis. Mm -hmm. We spend time with the victims. We spend a lot of time with the victims uh, compared to what would come later. You know, and I'd always heard that Deborah Hill wrote the dialogue between Jamie Lee Curtis and PJ Souls and Nancy Loomis, which is great. But in the commentary, which I don't know if you guys have seen, John Carpenter said, actually, Deborah Hill wrote the first draft of the entire screenplay, and then he jumped in. Yeah. Yeah, I read that, too, or actually seen the same commentary, and and uh, which is interesting. But, I mean, it came in a different, you know, you're taking a female perspective of, of 
a genre movie and you're talking babysitter, which Deborah Hill says she used to babysit. So right. it all fit with her. Like it, it was a perfect fit for her to write this. So it makes sense if you really think about it. Yeah. And so, but you know, we're, we're rightly like celebrating that, you know, Nia DaCosta is the first, you know, uh, black female to have a number one movie at the box office with the latest candy man. But I, yeah, I agree. But, um, <laughs> I agree, but <laughs> but Deborah Hill, man, she wrote the first draft of Halloween, which is pretty cool. There's a paper for you, Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I was just well, I was just thinking about that. It's like um, we always think of Slumber Party Massacre, right, as the quintessential feminist slasher movie, but right. Halloween at its core is you know feminist. It was first draft written by a woman, co-produced by a woman, uh, and uh, it's about a, a female's perspective on a horror movie. That's well, really... not only that, Deborah Hill. Greg knows this. I don't know if you know this, Jackson. Who was the first person to play Michael Myers in the film? If we're going yes. chronologically, yes, it's Deborah I, Hill. I saw that her her hands play young Michael, um, and she also dons the costume and in, in some wide shots uh, later on in the movie. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so man, that's not only is is Halloween like the the uh, the prototype. Not only is it like the proto slasher, it's also the first feminist slasher, which is so that's so cool. It's so many things in one. Um, yeah, definitely something I never thought about. Yeah, and and here's something I'd be interested to know Greg's thoughts on this. And that people hold it. We will get to Rob Zombie's Halloween here eventually, and we've got we'll have a couple guests for that. But we'll do Rob Zombie's Halloween one and two in an episode. And we've got two uh, guests slated for that. But I, I, Greg and I have spoken about this. We had kind of the same reaction the first time we saw Rob Zombie's Halloween. It's grown on me, folks. But I didn't like it at first. In mm -hmm. fact, I hated it at first. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I heard, I listened to one podcast called The Evolution of Horror, and they had Kim Newman on, who's kind of an iconic British horror, you know, um, reviewer and critic and all that kind of stuff. And Kim Newman said the biggest difference between John Carpenter's Halloween and Rob Zombie's Halloween, Rob Zombie doesn't really seem that interested in Laurie Strode and her friends. He's more interested in Michael Myers, whereas John Carpenter's more interested in the girls, and Michael Myers is just a force of nature. Does that make any sense, Greg? Uh, totally, yeah. He, he's the shadow. He's the boogeyman. So, yeah, focus in on character build and then throw in the boogeyman for your scare. So, yeah, absolutely. And right, I Which, which builds suspense, right? Because you, you come to like these girls, so when they're in danger, you know, you're rooting for them. Yeah, because in the other version, well, not other, you'll get to them all, you know, later, but in a lot of the other Halloweens or even in any of the movies, basically body count, it was more of a fluffer. So the later mm -hmm. movies of the 80s was you didn't know any of these people other than the fact that, okay, this one's going to die. You knew it right away. So it was just a fluffer. Let's throw somebody in there. We don't care who they are. Throw them in there. Halloween developed. I mean, you knew the characters. Mm -hmm. Even when you th uh, talk about Bob, or even Paul, like you never saw Paul on the screen. Mm -hmm. You knew a little bit about Paul. I mean, they even spent a little time on a character that don't even have screen time. <laughs> I mean, so, right. You know. <laughs> yeah, but it's, but it's, you know, it's Deborah Hill did such a good job fleshing out those characters. And John Carpenter this day gives her credit for, you know, uh, Jamie Lee's character, Laurie Strode, and all the others that she basically came up with them and she basically gave them life. Mm. And the cool thing she did, because she went back basically to her small town in New Jersey and she drew from there. If you've gone to high school, gone through high school, you know these people. Yeah. You know I mean, being timers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but Jackson, of course, you know, you're younger. So 
What did you think? And I know you've seen Zombies Halloween and this one. Does Kim Newman's criticism make sense? Does that resonate with you as far as suspense versus kind of fascination with the killer? Yeah. And that, I mean, that that change in perspective is evident from just like even the structure of the movies themselves. I mean, in Halloween 1978, Michael Myers is the main character for like one minute before Laurie Strode becomes the main <laughs> character from then on out. Whereas with uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, he's the main character for the first half of the movie. So, um, yeah, that that's definitely evident there. He Rob Zombie has that, like, Netflix Ted Bundy obsession where it's like they've got to make a new biopic about Ted Bundy every five weeks. It's like we got to know more about this guy. Can we just say he was a messed up dude and just, like, leave it alone and not be fascinated with him? I think that, that whether it be real-life serial killers or Michael Myers or slasher villains, they don't need to be, and the, it depends on what kind of movie you're making. Like, if you're making a giallo and you have, like, characters and they need some kind of motivation for the crimes they're committing, that's fine. But when, when we have a slasher, I don't need a lot of exposition showing us why they became. We can infer, okay? We don't need to know that, that Michael Myers started off killing small animals before he graduated to children, before he graduated to adults. Okay, we don't need that, that to see him grow as a serial killer. Um, we can infer that. What's interesting is seeing how he's functioning and how he's operating in full form. I think that's that's much more interesting. And, and yeah, I think that is a valid criticism. I still love Rob Zombie's Halloween. Okay, maybe not love, but I really enjoy Rob Zombie's Halloween. Um, and that was just as present in my life and in my mind growing up as, um, as Halloween 1978 was, because when that movie came out, I was still young. Um, so I have an interesting perspective on that. I can't wait to talk about that. But as far as, as Halloween 1978 goes, yeah, that idea is really interesting that he's not really a character. Michael Myers isn't a character. He's just a shape. He's literally a visual. That's all Michael Myers is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So this was shot in May of 1978 in Pasadena, California. If you watch the commentary, John and, and Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis can't remember. It's like a spring, March, April. But if you watch the little featurette um, in the Blu-rays where Jamie Lee Curtis goes to Horror Hound in Indianapolis, she's got the clapper, you know, and it says May of 1978. So it was May of 1978 in Pasadena. Uh, which is a suburb of L.A. and a place I once called home. I attended Southwestern Academy, and um, I remember the first week I was there, I was the only kid on campus who had a car, and I was driving around with a few other guys from school, and I said to one of them, Greg Mack, Greg Mack, wherever you are, buddy, this place looks familiar. When I'm <laughs> driving down the street in South Pasadena, and Greg looks over at me and says, have you seen Halloween? I was like, holy crap, this is where they shot Halloween. Um, so, and I know, Greg, you've been there too, right? Yes, finally, yes. So tell, tell people about what it was like. I, you've put pictures and stuff up, but what, what was it like to be there? It was the most surreal moment in my life. Like, it was so freaking uh, mind-numbing. I don't know the emotions that went through my brain, like literally driving the street, walking the street, the hedge. Uh, the house, of course. I mean, everything was just so surreal, like sitting on the little uh, stone thing with uh, the pumpkin mm -hmm. kind of deal. I mean, it was just, you know, having having uh, Pearl at the time we were uh, just seeing each other or, or had just met, actually, and her with me at the time. You know, just, we're all sharing these moments. And it's just like, oh, my God. It's like, dude, I'm literally right where John Carpenter, Jamie Lee, Michael yeah. Myers. There's never been a moment hit me like that, like, 
walking up and seeing Meyer's house for the first time, man, it's just your jaw drops. You're just sitting there like, <gasps> it's like you almost hear the, the orchestra come down and the light shine down. You're like, oh. it's, that's cool, man. And I, you know, I found it, but I didn't, this was, I moved out to LA in 1988 okay. when I was 16. So there was no internet, right, Greg? There was no yeah. internet when we were in high school. There was no, you know, it was just because my buddies knew where the Myers house was that they could show it to me because I didn't know where it was, you know? Uh, and, um, I didn't but, even yeah, think about that, but you're right. I mean, you wouldn't have had GPS or, no, or anything like that. No, nothing. And then they told me, you know, and we'll, we'll get to Halloween too later. But I mean, it's just like, you know, the guys like, we want to go see the, the hospital. And I was like, yeah. And they drove me over to where the hospital was, where they shot Halloween too. And I was like, wow. And so, so they shot it and they also saw, shot some things in Hollywood proper, but most of it was in South uh, um, Pasadena. And so Jackson, I'll take you there one day, buddy, but you may be living there one day. So <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope I can visit there. And I was thinking when Greg was telling his story, how sur about how surreal it was, I was like, I can imagine because I had only seen Strangers Pray at Night two times before we visited the filming location. And just being there where they filmed, like, the pool scene and stuff, I was, like, getting chills, you know, even though I'd only seen it two times and it was a new release. Were they but, multiplying your chills? Were they multiplying? Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> your chills are multiplying. There's a Greece reference. You know who he's married to, folks. Pearl's uh, <laughs> uh, looking at me. Oh, man. We, well, we went to visit the Strangers Pray at Night thing. It was just because, you know, he was home. He loves to visit film sets. And so and no matter what people think of Strangers Pray at Night, I know Haddonfield Hatchet doesn't really care for it. But that pool scene is iconic. I mean, that pool scene is fantastic. And you had to sit there at the pool and see what they did with it. That was great. But we also went to Night of the Living Dead. We went to the Monroeville Mall where they shot Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And that kind of stuff is really, really cool. But the one thing that strikes you, this is the big thing. Because, you know, like I said, this was pre-internet. I'd seen Halloween. I think I had recorded it off of TV at that point. So I had it on a on a VHS. But, you know, I remember just like when they said, pull over here. And Greg goes, pull over here, Greg Mack, my buddy. And, and we pulled over. And he goes, that's the Myers house. And I get out and look at it. I'm looking up and down the street. I'm like, there are palm trees everywhere. They're not leaves anywhere. How did they do this? <laughs> you know? And then you watch the commentary and you start to learn. They actually painted leaves. They tried to hide the palm trees, all that kind of stuff. Because, Greg, you've been there. It's it's L.A. Oh, it's L.A. It's straight up L.A. <laughs> and they're filming this in May, mm -hmm. which means it's probably 80 degrees. Yeah, it was funny because there's a scene uh, early on. And it's the scene where she goes with the pump. She's waiting for Annie to pull up. Mm -hmm. And she's sitting out there. And, and in the commentary, you'll hear Jamie Lee say, you know, what she actually says March. You like you alluded, Matt. Yeah. She said March in the commentary, but anyway, she's like walking across the street. She said, Look at the street. And she said, Look at how full the trees are. This is not October. It's full of trees. It's green. <laughs> now, I got I got to ask you guys, and I, I, I think I can suspect what your answer will be. Does that stuff bother you? Because, like, when I first noticed that there were only like 400 brown leaves in the entire movie and they're, they're just sprinkling them in front of the in front of right. the camera and there's palm trees in the background. Does that stuff bother you? Does it take you out of the movie at all? It kind of did for me the like a couple viewings after I learned that. But this time around, I, it just added to the charm for me. Greg, go for it. Nah, for me, no, it don't bother me like that. Especially slashers get such, such a, a pass for me. Like any. <laughs> things like it don't bother good slash they're the only genre subgenre that i allow them to get away with it 
But yeah, it, it doesn't bother me. Pearl said yes. She's like, yeah, it bothered me. <laughs> 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 I'm just watching the movie. Have fun. Where's Michael at? Let me see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't bother. It doesn't bother me. It, it to me, it's kind of charming because we forget how low budget this was, how quickly it was shot. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis says in the commentary, I mean, like the Myers house was when you see it later in the film when it's all dilapidated at that time that's what it looked like mm-hmm. and you know they had to whitewash it and everything to go back and do the early scene the opening scene with michael and his sister judith and like jamie lee curtis and and nancy loomis and everybody they're all jumping in with the crew and tommy lee wallace and nick castle they're all like painting and hanging stuff up and all of this other kind of stuff and so it was a very very low budget i mean one of the reasons and we'll talk about the iconic score john carpenter's like i can't afford any music i got to do this myself <laughs> you know what i mean and so we in get this iconic days. yeah in four days he just sits down and starts banging on a piano and we get this in, you know incredible score but it he didn't have any money. I mean, there was just no money. They had Donald Pleasance for like, what, four or five days, something like that. I mean, not very long. Yeah, like it was five total. And, I, and, for like, and they paid him like 35 grand or something like that. And so, yeah, it, it's just, so when you see like John Carpenter's like, and, and, and John Carpenter brings it up and Jamie Lee brings it up in the commentaries. They're like, oh, there's your cigarette smoke wafting into the shot, you know, and <laughs> which, by the way, how in the world is John Carpenter still alive? He's like smokes like a carton yeah. of cigarettes a day. <laughs> he doesn't exercise. All he does is watch Lakers games and play video games. What yes. in the world? <laughs> I think when he get, I think when he performs his music with his son these days, it's the only time he gets out of the house. <laughs> yeah, I think he's like got the same the mojo that we we mentioned in the heavy metal episode you uh, had us on, and and we mentioned of course Lemmy. Yeah, Ozzy, how Ozzy's still like it's the same way with with uh, Keith Richards and, and Mick Jagger. Like I think he's in the same mojo with these guys. Like they're gonna live forever. Oh, my I God. I love that kind of stuff. I didn't notice that until it was pointed out to me. The the cigarette smoke when it, like wafting in front of Annie's face. It goes right in front of her face. I don't know how I didn't notice that. I know. Um, same here. Same but um, that's just so funny to imagine just John Carpenter just just chain smoking behind the camera. And you know that if it was in that shot, he was probably doing it every other shot of the movie, just chain smoking behind the camera. Oh, he chain smokes all the time when you see him on <laughs> yeah. interviews. If you go on YouTube, yeah. he's like being interviewed by Robert Rodriguez and he's sitting there lighting up one cigarette after another in yeah. probably inside Robert's house. And Robert's like, yeah, if you weren't John Carpenter, I'd kill you for that. But whatever. <laughs> How much did you think Tommy Lee Wallace had to take out because of Smoke in. Let's do a recut. We got too much smoke in there, fellas. <laughs> it's hysterical. So no, because of that, you know, I, I I just I cut in a lot of slack. Not just because it's a slasher, though I do the same thing, Greg. I mean, you know, but it's because it was so quick. It was so low budget. You know, it was just get it out there. We got to get this. We've got it. I mean, they filmed in May. They released it. You know, just a few months later, really, which is really quick. And so I I cut him slack for that, and I think they kind of captured magic in the bottle. If you want to hear all the mistakes, yeah. you know, you watch the commentary where Jamie Lee Curtis is, or, or, you know, John, he's even pointing out mistakes. He's talking about when they, you know, were doing the opening scene with the Panaglide camera, the Steadicam, and, and how irritated he was when he realized that when Deborah, as Michael, reaches in for the knife, it's out of focus. 
it's yeah. completely out of focus. And then when he turns and Michael turns to go into the dining room, you can see the shadow of the camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, stuff like that. You know, John's just like sitting there in the commentary going, uh, uh, and Jamie Lee's giving him a hard time. It's like, cause the door handles are on the wrong side from the inside, outside shot, all that kind of stuff. I don't care. It's so low budget because at the same time, we'll talk about this in a minute, all the mistakes that were made. We'll talk about Dean Cundy's photography here in a minute. This thing was shot for $307,000. This thing was shot brilliantly. I mean, absolutely brilliantly. So we get the opening, you know, after the pumpkin, which was carved by Tommy Wallace. He did everything on this movie and shot in a garage um, you know, we get that. Let's just jump into it. We got the Panaglide cam, which is a form of the steady cam, which apparently took was so heavy, it took two people to carry. Wow. And, you know, it was a very new camera. And so you actually, in that opening shot where you get Michael in the POV shot, um, according to John Carpenter, there are four different cuts. Um, you know, he, he admits, like I said, to some errors that were done and all that other kind of stuff. But we see this that was actually shot near the end of filming. Right, Greg? Because they they had to whitewash that house. They wanted the dilapidated house first. Then they cleaned it up. Yeah. So this is this shot. What? Twenty eight days, something like that. Yes. So it's it's you know, it's near the end of that. And they also, you know, able to scrap up a few dollars to have a crane shot when we Michael is unmasked. and He's just staring with those dead eyes this to me as every probably most people know who listen to this podcast you know psycho is my favorite movie of all time there wouldn't have been a halloween without psycho because you know uh, howard hawks is john carpenter's favorite filmmaker but hitchcock's up there and he loves psycho and but this opening along with maybe jaws's opening is in my opinion one of the greatest openings and scream one of the greatest openings in horror film history. Greg, what do you think? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, it's something haunting about it. They reuse it in two with a different angle or a different pumpkin. But I, other than Halloween 4 with that mm-hmm. intro, I think it is the best. Like, it is just so simple but so creepy. It sets the mood of the movie, the way it was lit, the darkness, and and just the pumpkin face. I, I don't know, man. It's just a perfect mix, man. I think it totally set that scare moment mood for you. You're already, you're already on edge, man, just listening to that, that musical score along with that pumpkin, man. You're just like, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Jackson, what do you think of the opening, buddy? I love I love the opening sequence, um, and I, I do I do love all the and and knowing the behind the scenes stuff I, I love all the the stuff like whenever the camera isn't looking at something it probably wasn't painted it wasn't it wasn't uh, yeah. decorated <laughs> it was just that same dilapidated house like the rooms that we don't see were not renovated they didn't have time for that. Um, but uh, and then and then the cuts like when you know where they are, it's really entertaining to see them, like when the mask goes on and stuff like that. Um, and when uh, when Michael is, is stabbing Judith and he looks up at his hand, you're like, that's kind of a weird. Why is he doing that? Because they're putting blood on Judith. Um, There's yeah. weird body of blood. So I love all that stuff. I, I think that's so fun. Um, and just knowing that there's two people with that camera that just jogging along with that thing, crossing the, st- the street and stuff like that. I, I love all that stuff um and i i just love i mean when you can see how the movie was made on screen a lot of people don't like that they like it to be like kind of a a another um they like to not know they like to not know how it was made 
I really like knowing how a movie was made just from watching it. Like King Kong, the original King Kong, I love that. Mm-hmm. How you can see each individual frame of, of, of animation. Um, and uh, and I, I just love movies where you can tell that they were they're really trying their best. Like the first Evil Dead, there's lots of errors in that. Um, and there's that part in the beginning, I mean, in the opening of, of Halloween, when it pulls out and... Michael's parents just kind of don't do anything because they're not written to do anything after that. They just kind of stand there and don't say anything while Michael's still moving around. It's kind of odd, but it's just like that. That was their take, you know. That they're moving. They're 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 low budget, um, and it just just makes me feel warm and fuzzy. And like you said earlier, Deborah Hill plays Michael. Nick Castle plays Michael. Everybody's playing Michael. Four or five people in the costume. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I love the idea that everybody kind of did everything. I love that, that kind of collaborative, uh, film crew. Yeah. And, but I love that crane shot when they, after Michael's parents take his mask off of him and the crane shot pulls back and he's just got that lifeless look, Mm -hmm. which in retrospect is some switch has been hit, right, Greg? This is not, this is not a boy anymore. No. No, from right there, he he's not human anymore. He's he's completely checked out, so to speak. And I love the the subtleness of the way they did the uh, lighting of that knife, the way he kind of twisted mm-hmm. it, so you get a glare every once in a while. This is beautiful storytelling right there. Absolutely. Yeah, he was gone. He was definitely not Michael anymore. Mm-mm. So then we get the shot in the car with Donald Pleasance and Nancy Stevens, which was shot in a garage with a rain machine. <laughs> I can't. I can't even imagine. And then poor Nick Castle, you know, that's him as the as the shape jumping on the car. It, you know, in the rain machine at night, probably freezing his butt off. Right. Because one thing you learn about Southern California, folks, if you've never been to Southern California, believe it or not, at night, it gets cold Hmm. when the sun goes down. And the Santa Ana winds pick up, it can get really cold. You got to remember, LA is on the edge of a desert. And if there's no sun, <laughs> there's no heat. <laughs> so it can get really cold in, in, in LA. So poor Nick Castle, he was a trooper, man. I mean, you know, John's buddy and former bandmate, right? Weren't they, they were in a band together, weren't they? Yeah, the Coupe de Ville's. That's right, the Coupe de Ville's. Yeah. And so, you know, he gets roped into this and, Man, he he earned his paycheck, but I love that sequence pulling into Smith's Grove, which I just passed the real Smith's Grove because I just drove through Bowling Green about two weeks ago um, <laughs> where John grew up. <clears throat> but and you see it coming into Bowling Green. But anyway, that opening sequence, when you see first, of course, you see Donald Pleasance and, and Nancy Stevens playing the nurse and. And she's kind of treating him like he's a jerk, like he's just a heartless jerk. This guy, he's been in this job too long. He's got no compassion for this people because he's referring to Michael Myers as it instead of him. And but of course, as we learn throughout this movie and the course of all the rest of the movies, if you don't listen to Dr. Loomis, just like if you don't listen to Crazy Ralph, you're in trouble. Right, Greg? Exactly. He's that har- harbinger of doom, buddy. Yep. <laughs> listen yes. to him. Absolutely. So, Jackson, what did you did you know that that was shot in a garage that car scene, and what did you think of it? I did not know that was shot in a garage. Um, that's maybe that'll be like the um, the the palm tree thing where I'm gonna have to get used to that now. Uh, whenever I watch that that <laughs> opening, knowing that 
that they're in a garage. It can't be like that. Well, I guess it could be. I was just thinking about the shot where we see from the back in the rear window, um, mm-hmm. Nick Castle jumping up from behind. I thought I saw the sky behind there, but I guess it's just through a window, so you can't really tell. But, um, yeah, I, I, I love that sequence, though. Um, so creepy. I mean, the first visual we get is just the, the inmates just kind of wandering around in the wet yeah. grass. It's just just so disturbing and i love that line since when do they let them just wander around <laughs> i love that oh nurse yeah. marion she doesn't know um but but loomis is instantly on it uh, then again i think that loomis is probably not handling that in the best way let's leave her in the car while i just kind of walk up to the gate i don't really know what he's doing um just leaving her alone with the car running but uh you know, it's whatever he didn't know that michael had escaped yet I now, if I were were making the TV edit, if I were if I were extending this movie, I would want to see Michael escape. I think that would be interesting. What caused? Do we ever learn what caused Smith Grove? No. Well, there's not in the TV. Correct me if I'm wrong, Greg. In the TV version, um, Doctor Loomis talks to a couple nurses and basically says that Michael escaped, and then he let everyone else out. Is that how you remember it, Greg? Uh, yeah, that's and it's been a hot minute since I've seen it. That's yeah. Yeah, so he let everybody out, but no, they don't show a scene. They just they describe it. Yeah, I would like to see. I think if Rob Zombie had done it, had I think we should have ditched the whole hillbilly family thing, um, and instead we see as a, if you want if you want to make a prequel examining Michael Myers more, maybe we see how he escaped because it, I mean, well, I was gonna say it's pretty high security, but that gate looked pretty flimsy. I don't know, maybe it wasn't. Um, but uh, I want to see that. And and it's odd that they would say that Michael let the other inmates out because I don't think he would have any sympathy for them at all. He's like, you guys are, have fun. You know, I'm, I'm leaving. I don't think he would have had compassion on them. Or maybe he did it to distract so he could get out and, and have a way to get out without them immediately tracking him down. I don't know, but I don't think he would think through that. Um, but uh, then again, this is a possibly non-canon TV edit. Uh, but anyways, that's what I'm doing if I ever make Why, a movie. Well, we'll make. talk about this at some point during this whole thing. But what is yeah. canon at this point? Because it's like choose your own True. adventure at yeah. this point <laughs> with the Halloween films. But we're after this scene, we're introduced to Laurie Stroh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who, if you watch Eli Ross' History of Horror, better listen to the unedited podcast, Eli Ross' History of Horror, especially when he interviews when Eli Roth interviews Quentin Tarantino and they're talking about the best performances ever in horror films and Quentin Tarantino says several times Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween and Greg you've met Jamie Lee Curtis correct even though she misremembered her name on network television <laughs> yes 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 <laughs> Dang, I'm always gonna be known as Larry <laughs> you're Larry <laughs> I'm Larry oh boy you may want to legally change your middle name just to <laughs> <laughs> be called Larry from now on. There you go. <laughs> so you met Jamie Lee. What's she like? Uh, absolute sweetheart. You can tell she's very outgoing, outspoken. And you can tell she's someone that's never met a stranger. Like she will totally just talk to anybody. Um, yeah. I mean, she, she is what she is on screen. You kind of, she's not that timid, shy person. She's very <laughs> outgoing, mm-hmm. fun, dude. I'm telling you, she is a bundle of energy, man. I'm telling you, I, just what brief moments that I had with her, I could tell like there is no way that I could keep up with this girl on a 24 hour day of, of going out, you know, mm-hmm. sightseeing or something like you could tell she's just go, 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 you know. And you have a tattoo of her, right? Yes. Yes. On the uh, right inside arm. Yep. The and you showed it to her. Sofa. Yeah. The scene from the sofa. Yeah. 
when she first stabbed Michael Myers in the neck with the uh, sewing needle, and then she picks the knife up and peeks her little head over the couch. Uh, That's my tattoo. Yeah, she loved it, man. She freaked out. She she totally, you know, F-bombed everybody in front of the kids. <laughs> a bunch of the kids. <laughs> yeah, Barnes and Noble's uh, children's book sign, and she totally F-bombed it. <laughs> that's hysterical yeah. i imagine greg that you don't disagree with quentin tarantino that this is one of the greatest performances in horror movies oh yeah absolutely yeah hands down though i mean there's there's great moments you know you go to the bride of frankenstein there's so many great actresses and moments but yeah this one certainly what about you jackson what do you think of her performance I love I love Jamie Lee in this movie. And I think I got the wrong impression of Jamie Lee Curtis because I think this is the first movie I saw with her in it all the way through. And I kind of did assume that she was like nebbish, quiet, uh, nerdy, and that was kind of the roles yeah. she usually played, which is not the case at all. She's usually very dem- like commanding and, and uh-huh. outgoing. But in this movie, she's she's playing against type. She's um, more like her mom in, in Psycho. She's more uh, uh, smart than the other people, but she's also mm-hmm. quieter. Um, and yeah, I love I love her uh, her her. I mean, Laurie is it, maybe not the first final girl um, because we have Black Christmas mm-hmm. and I, and Texas Chainsaw, but she's the one that set up all these these. Um, like these, these, what do you, cliches, that's, yeah. that's what I'm looking for. Tropes um, or cliches, yeah. Tropes, that's right. Um, the final girl circuit, you know, where she's going around, she discovers PJ Soul's body, and she's she's walking around, and she's she's being chased by Michael. Um, the final girl, girl circuit, she's the virgin, um, which I don't think we had gotten in Texas Chainsaw or Black Christmas. I don't think it's implied that the final girls are virgins in that. Um, and she's you know, nice to her, to everybody. She, we want her to survive. She, she subs in for Annie babysitting, um, uh, Lindsay Wallace. Uh, she's generally nice to everyone. She's a Girl Scout. Um, but, uh, well, but yeah. she, as she points out in the commentary and you can, as you see, yeah, Jamie Lee insists. Yeah. She's a nice girl. She's very smart. She's a little mm-hmm. shy, but she smokes pot. She do- well, it doesn't seem like it's a common thing for her. She almost dies of like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, that is she not- didn't she didn't say no like all the commercials in the eighties. I mean, she took it. So yeah, maybe maybe she was being peer pressured by Annie. I don't know, but she yeah she didn't say no. Uh, but yeah, she almost dies right there in the passenger seat of the car, <laughs> and that would have been the end of the movie. Um, uh, drugs kill kids. Uh, only only losers do drugs. <laughs> But um, I love that scene. First of all, can I say that's my favorite scene in the movie? In the in this horror movie, that's my favorite really? scene. I love that we hear "Don't Fear the Reaper" in the background, and then when when Annie's approaching, uh, she's driving and she sees uh, Sheriff Brackett. She goes, "My dad, my dad, get rid of this." I love that that like delivery. I love, it. <laughs> I, love I love her her um, her acting there. That's that's got to be my favorite scene. Um, great great acting from. I don't know if you want to get into this yet. Are we talking about the cast yet? Can I talk about about Annie and and the, uh, yeah the we yeah we can talk about it in a second. Let's finish okay. up with Jamie Lee because here's oh, one I thing I wanted to throw in. You know she read for the part three times, and was in competition with Ann Dusenberry, who was Tina, the pageant queen from Jaws 2. <laughs> Could you okay. imagine if that went the other way? Ugh. Uh, <laughs> there's there's thoughts. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
that would have not been good for me. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I agree. And I like her as Tina and Jaws 2. Yeah. I actually enjoy Jaws 2. But yeah. no, we needed Jamie Lee Curtis for this oh. film. Yeah. Friday 13th uh, would be the movie I'd be talking about now. It's my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> you'd have that tattooed on your or you'd have Tina, the, the prom queen from Jaws 2, tattooed on your, on your arm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get, you know, first we, we've already met him before that scene, before they pull up to the hardware store. You know, you have that where uh, Lori bumps into Sheriff Brackett. And actually, if you watch it carefully enough, Jamie Lee Curtis was convinced that she was going to be fired after that scene because she kept laughing. because She knew a scare was coming and she keeps bumping into Charles Cipher. And, and I, Greg, have you met Charles Cipher? I have it, and that's one that I have always wanted to meet because I've always respected that man so much and love seeing him on screen from Assault. Uh, yeah. He's been in so many great movies, man. Love that dude. Oh, yeah. He's Fall Hog, and he's in. Yeah, I mean, he's just, yeah, and, and he's still around, and he's going to be in Halloween Kills. Yes, yes, and that was filmed in Wilmington, and I never got to see him, man. It was just, oh. Oh, that, that stinks. That stinks, but... You know, yeah, we meet Sheriff Brackett and we go through all that. Then we get to, you know, you know, Annie and Lori, they're babysitting and they're talking on the phone. But Annie really wants to hook up with her boyfriend and PJ Soul's character. You know, she wants to hook up with her boyfriend, Bob. And so Jamie's being the good friend doing all that stuff. But we have those shots of just like the shape and we, and we have them earlier, like when, you know, Lori's in her room where the shape is just staring. He's just silent and staring. <laughs> I don't know about you, that scares the crap out of me. It's like, you know, I've got a motion detector light in my backyard. Mm -hmm. If that thing goes off, and typically it's a dog or it's a cat, I look out there and I see a guy in a mask. <laughs> I'm either pulling a Carl Lewis or I'm getting my pump action shotgun. Um, and what I've learned from Halloween is the pump action doesn't work. Actually, folks, let me give you some advice. Just buy a wood chipper. Um, <laughs> everybody should just have a wood chipper when you're dealing with a maniac. Don't mess with shooting them. That doesn't work. There's going to pop. Don't stab them once, you know, which is going to freak you out. Just knock them out, throw them in a wood chipper, for goodness sakes. But that, we get that where Nick Castle is just like staring. Yeah. And it's unnerving. And then we see it again and again and again in horror movies, like, for example, The Strangers, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just, there's something just about that, of just like something you, you, someone, you don't know what they want. You don't know what they're doing. They're just staring at you through a window. Am I alone in this, Greg, or is that freaky? No, that's freaky. It's completely freaky. That scene. That whole setup in that room was just so scary to me, man. It was the phone ringing and the, yeah, it, yeah that, that's great storytelling, creepy as crap, setting the mood, getting yeah. you ready, and the shortest bed ever in cinema history for Jamie Lee to try to sleep in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, Jackson, what about you? Because what, well, we, I, I don't want, I don't want Greg to sever his friendship with Jay of the Dead. He says that all this stuff, all this buildup is kind of boring on rewatches. Jay, I love you, but you're wrong. But anyway, Jackson, what do you think? 
I love it. I mean, I love the just all the visuals of, of Michael, and I love the the tension. That's what it's doing. It's building tension. And like you said, Hitchcock is up there for for John Carpenter, and that's classic Hitchcockian. You show them the threat, and the threat doesn't interact with our main people for a while, right? But we know it's there. It's that, I mean, Michael Myers is like the bomb under the table. Um, we know he's going to collide with Jamie Lee at some point. Point. The question is when and what will happen when he does. Um, and I love, I love all that buildup. I love and that that shot of him staring at her through through the the window across the street when she's in class. Um, just just fantastic. Again, he's an image. He's he's a visual more than a character. Um, and it's no wonder that he's become so iconic just as a visual, like as a pop culture icon. Just that the mask and the tracksuit and the, or the jump the mechanic suit, whatever you call that. Um, you, some people don't even know anything about him other than that his name is Michael Myers, but they can tell you exactly what he looks like and that he uses a kitchen knife to kill people. <laughs> so, um, that, I mean, that's that's just great marketing right there. That's great uh, filmmaking when you can create such an—I mean, it's because it's such a simple image. I mean, it's a guy, it's Nick Castle and a William Shatner mask, but mm -hmm. for some reason it just sticks in your mind. He's like a ghost. He's, he is a shape. Yeah. That mask is genius, by the way, because if they had gone with, because they thought about a clown mask and all this other kind of stuff, you can't, you know, it's freaky enough that you're walking around in like, you know, this this green like mechanics uniform with a pure white mask. But a clown's mask would have added too much character. As a force of nature, as the shape, it needed to be that pure white mask. Right, Greg? Yeah, that blank stare that they talk about mm -hmm. in and it needed that. You don't want to bring too much attention to a face. You want it to be ghost-like. You want it to be menacing-like. You don't want its own character to have, you know, that mask to have its own character, per se. Uh, you want it to be background scary, and that's what it was. Like, the features are not there. You don't see a lot of cheekbone features. You don't see a lot of, you know, it's just that blank stare that you see out of this. It's like, oh, perfect. Mm -hmm. I, I, I absolutely agree. So, you know, they go on and on in the commentary. Jamie Lee Curtis kept, keeps praising, one, both Dean Cundy's uh, photography, and two, that Carpenter is so patient. He's a patient director. He's not rushing stuff. They're not editing quickly. That You know, they're building all of that kind of stuff. I mean, and, of course, as Jackson, as you said, he learned that from Hitchcock. And why does the shower scene in Psycho work so well? Because we spent so much time with with Janet Lee. Does that make sense, Jackson? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we know we 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 know something's up. We don't know exactly what's up. We know there's danger afoot and that there's something uh, something's going to happen to Janet Lee. Uh, but with with Psycho, that's not maybe the best example because that is so unexpected. That's a huge twist. Mm -hmm. That's not inevitable. Uh, but if you watch any other Hitchcock movie, um, like Rear Window, where what uh, what uh, our main character suspects from the beginning is going to happen actually does happen. We just need to see it play out, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's that's classic Hitchcock right there, and I think that's what um, what Carpenter is taking. I mean, like I said, we know they're going to collide at some point. We just don't know what the the outcome is going to be. Mm. Yeah. Well, I just I I just think that there's lessons, Jackson, for you to be learned here about being a patient director. Everything now is is edited so quickly. It's going yeah. back. I guess the turn, um, Greg, came like it's like the MTV effect. 
because you and I are old enough to remember when MTV like dropped and there were all these quick edits, right? It's boom, 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 boom. And things started to change at that point. Don't you think? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Everything was fast paced. There was no, cause music brought that, you know, it was that fast punch directors, mm -hmm. a lot of the horror directors coming from musical backgrounds. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were using that, that because it's all about imagery. It's all about getting your, uh, ADD It's all about getting that, you know, people don't have that long attention span. So people are trying to, you know, the directors were throwing stuff at you at such quick flashes, you know, let's get you attention. Halloween ain't that. Halloween is definitely not that movie. And I think that's mm -hmm. why you'll see a lot of the newer generation. Thank goodness Jackson's not in that boat because I love you, Jackson. But a lot of the newer <laughs> generation, I mean, they don't necessarily get this Halloween. They prefer Rob Zombie's Halloween. They prefer the gore yeah. and different things. They don't like the storytelling of this style film where, you know, Matt and myself, you know, we're from that age and era that we love that, that Hitchcockian era. Mm -hmm. this, was, this was it. I mean, this was the best thing to Alfred Hitchcock we had right here was yeah. John Carpenter doing it, man. Yeah! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> I, I completely agree. And so I do want to go back just a little bit, talk about one thing. We get that shot where Donald Pleasance, uh, his character Sam Loomis, discovers the missing headstone of Judith Myers. And, and you know, he says, ah, you know, I, he came home. And but he's walking with the, like the the what do you call him caretaker or whatever of a cemetery, yeah. And he's telling her that story of old Charlie Bowles, and he got up from his you know got up from his table, went to get a hacksaw, and we never got the rest of the story. And I was like, what was he going to do with a hacksaw? Come on, Doctor Lewis, why did you interrupt that beautiful? I want to know. <laughs> we need a what? movie about this this Charlie. <laughs> that should have been Halloween too. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Charlie Bowles hacksaw incident. There you go, Jackson. <laughs> hacksaw. That's your next. Yeah, yeah. That's your project. <laughs> there it is. I mean, and John John wanted to make this an anthology, right? That Halloween two yeah. would be. You know why not? And then that makes just as much sense to me. It's a prequel film, uh, Halloween two, the the origin, the hacksaw origin. I don't know something like that. That would maybe that would have wouldn't have been quite as good as what we got, but it would have been certainly more interesting. Oh man! And then you know, so finally we do we get we have several scenes where Donald Pleasance and Charles Cyphers, you know, Doctor Loomis and Sheriff Brackett, are kind of going back and forth, and. You know, I hear a lot of stuff on Twitter and other stuff from horror fans. They don't like big exposition dumps. They don't like, you know, let's get back to the action. But we've talked about this is more Hitchcockian. I love their back and forth. I think some of the best lines in this movie come from Donald Pleasance and Charles Cyphers going, you know, their discussions, you know, at night outside the Myers house or in the Myers house or or whatever. I love those back and forth. So what do you think, Greg? Yeah, brilliant. I mean, it's just great storytelling, dude. Uh, everything about this movie is great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just, it's like you never get to see that, that lightning in a bottle, and this is what you get. Every moment in this movie, whether it's the moment of Dr. Loomis, you know, outside the Myers house with, you know, Lonnie and the kids or, or the upstairs and Michael Myers with Sheriff Brackett or whatever, you know, just Lori bumping in. I mean, everything was great storytelling. Like, mm -hmm. you know, all had a, it had a purpose and a plan and it all worked out. And it's just, it's, it's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. 
What about you, Jackson? What did you think of the back and forth and the exposition dumps from Dr. Loomis? I think it's, yeah, I think it's, um, it's certainly efficient, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. We get a lot of information in a short amount of time. Um, and I don't mind that it's exposition-y because it doesn't take too long. I mean, like I said, this is an 85-minute movie with credits. Um, so it definitely, it gives Loomis something to do. Uh, and it, it tells us more about Michael. Because one of the ma the complaints I do have is that Loomis, for like the second act of this movie, is kind of just standing by the Myers house in that bush. You know, he's doing, Lonnie! Hey! Hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. He's doing that, but like yeah. other than that, he's kind of just just there, just behind a <laughs> just behind a bush, not really doing anything. Uh, but but his well, dialogue, I mean, he's a psychiatrist, dude. I mean, he's not used to you know. He's he used is to carrying. He is carrying. He's packing. Yeah, he's packing. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> he's a psychiatrist who works at an insane asylum in a mental institution. He's just, you know, he's used to sitting down and going, look at this ink blot. How do you feel? You know, that kind of stuff. He's yeah. not used to chasing maniacs around in the middle of the night, you know, with I a sheriff I'm telling to, him he's crazy. I guess I'm more used to like Halloween 2 or, or Halloween 4 where he's like actively hunting Michael at, at all well, times. Oh, and he becomes a bit yeah unhinged. Yeah. He starts chewing the scenery in some of the future movies. <laughs> he but sure I, does. I yeah, mean, in Halloween I, 6, he's basically screaming every line. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is because John Carpenter talked about this in the commentary. He said that, you know, working with Donald Pleasance, he was such a huge fan of his. He was a bit intimidated by him. And so they had a very professional relationship. It was very much, you know, young director, seasoned actor. And it worked out well. As time went on, uh, they became friends. They became buddies. And it seems like the more they became buddies, the more John let him get away with. Like, I don't get me wrong. I like Prince of Darkness. I own Prince of Darkness. But you want to see Donald Pleasance just like, you know, off the chain and just like screaming all the time. Watch Prince of Darkness. It <laughs> yeah. just seems like he's yelling every other line all the time. It's like, dude, calm down. You know what I mean? I mean, you're the one who put Satan in a leaky bottle in the basement. Chill out. It's your fault. Um, but yeah. it, it, it's just here. It's much more subtle. It's much more deliberately paced. You know, I, I think it's a brilliant performance. I think the writing is, is great. Taken by itself, if you just want to extract it and pick it apart, like he's, I looked into these eyes, the devil's eyes, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, well, you know, how did you even know that? He doesn't talk. But, but for some reason, the way Pleasance delivers it, and the pace and, and the way he does, it works. It just works for me. So, Greg, am I wrong? No, no, you're you're 100% right. It, it, it's just Donald Pleasance, you know, playing a character, but he became that character. Like, mm -hmm. it, it's so revolutionized his, his acting, like, from that moment. You know, I'm sure you'll talk about that later with Christopher Lee, but it, it's like he became this character all of a sudden. Donald Places was no more Donald Places. He was Dr. Loomis. You know, it's like he invested his soul into this character. And we see it throughout six films or whatever. Uh, he just became <laughs> Dr. Loomis, man, to me. And He did. And you brought it up. Yeah, it, he, 
Donald Pleasance was like further down on like, yeah, on John Carpenter's wish list. He wanted Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, Peter Cushing was coming off of Star Wars, so that wasn't going to happen. Um, but Christopher Lee at that point, though he later said he greatly regretted it, that he turned it down, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm glad he did, um, frankly. And I'm a huge Christopher Lee fan, but Christopher Lee was trying to become a quote-unquote mainstream actor. You know, he'd done a James Bond movie, all that kind of stuff. He was trying to get away from horror. So they all turn it down. Donald Pleasance didn't want to do the movie. Met with John Carpenter said, you know, he didn't want to do it, but his daughter, Donald Pleasant's daughter, talked him into it because she was a fan of Assault on Precinct 13. Is that the story you heard, Greg? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, what a great movie in itself. Yeah, that's, that's exactly from what I've read and commentaries I've listened to, that's 100% what they said was the reason behind him taking it, was his daughter, period. Sometimes happy accidents. Remember, the makers of Casablanca wanted Ronald Reagan instead of Humphrey Bogart. So, oh. but, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Jackson, what do you think? Would, would you have preferred Christopher Lee, or are you happy with what you got? No, I'm I'm glad we got Donald Pleasance. Uh, as much as I love Christopher Lee, I think that would have been, I don't know, I think that would have been a little, something would have been lost there. He'd be like, the devil's eyes, you know, like, like he'd, yeah. he'd be stoned the entire movie, basically, very somber. And I, I kind of like the, especially towards the end of the movie, the manic nature of Loomis. Uh, and and what, from the first scene, I mean, he's in the car uh, with uh, with um, with Marion and he's like, he's like, uh, he keeps referring to Michael as it. And she's like, you don't you think we can call him a he? Uh, it a he and he goes if you insist you know he's like kind of you can tell he's ready to snap on michael he hates that kid um it's not like how it is in rob zombie where they're like kind of friends it's like that it's like uh uh, loomis kind of wants to be friends with michael in this movie he just kind of hates michael uh he's happy to, to to shoot him um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I love Pleasance's performance in this movie. I, I like Cushing. I like Lee and certainly it would have given Halloween an, an air of authenticity. I wonder if it would have gotten better reviews maybe initially, um, if there was like a bigger star in that role. I mean, I'm not saying Donald Pleasance wasn't a star, but, um, I definitely think Cushing. He was like well say, known, but he was, he was not right. typically like at the, at the top of the, the list. Right. I mean, yeah. But I can't see Christopher Lee. I understand why John Carpenter wanted to work with him, but I can't see Christopher Lee even being able to portray being scared. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, well. I mean, he is fear. He's Dracula, right? Yeah. So yeah. I don't think he'd be scared of a dude. I don't think he'd be scared of Michael Myers. And I think um, he caused too much of a of a conflict. I think he would have been too much of a personality as far mm-hmm. as you know what I mean. Like it yep. wouldn't have been. Sam Loomis, it would have been Christopher Lee, and it would have been then the yeah. rest of the cast. It would have been all about him, where I think you got to put the focus on Jamie Lee in the movie and the girls, and then Michael Myers. So I think putting Christopher Lee in there would have caused too much of a, you know, a mega superstar, mega, mega superstar, as far as some of the genre fans would have been. It would have just threw off, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so I do want to mention the kids. You've got you know, the actors playing Lindsay and Tommy, um, the character Lindsay is a brat. Tommy is a good kid who's kind of picked on. But the actors who played them, boy, have their lives gone in different paths. Um, I guess, you know, uh, the actress who played Lindsay, she's back at Halloween Kills, even though she's a reality TV star. 
Haven't heard a lot of great things about the actor who played Tommy. Yeah, Brian Andrews plays Tommy, and uh, Kyle Richards was uh, Lindsay. But yeah, uh, yeah, Brian Andrews. Uh, I don't know, man. I've interviewed him way back in the day, mm-hmm. and we had a uh, alt- well, not altercation. We had a communication there, and you know, it was, I was pleased to have him on. I met him at a convention. Was pleasant you know meeting but he he kind of went off the rails dude i'm not trying to throw smack and yeah he's listening hey you know no no harm either way but he, no I, but there's all I kinds quit. of stuff on twitter yeah. and all kind of stuff he's just had some issues and yeah i quit has, over this whole halloween the new halloween is where it really came in because all these other like kyle richardson all these others were brought back for the movie and they specifically did not want to work with brian andrews for whatever reason so they gave the cast yeah, you know, they they went a different route, and it hurt them. I mean, it really hurt them. Uh-huh. It really went off the rails, dude. Like, really off to the point. Like I said, I quit following them. I'm like washing my hands. Like, dude, you're you're yeah. Never burn bridges in in any industry. No. You know that. You know it. You don't burn bridges, and he has completely torched cities and towns, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, if you're an actor, director, writer, producer. You can tweet smack about athletes, politicians, all kind of stuff, but people who will you may have to work with one day or you want to work with, you don't say anything bad about. You just let it go. They went with Anthony Michael Hall over him. And and you know, I don't think it was a behavioral thing because Anthony Michael Hall's had all kinds of problems in his life that have been very public. Um, you know, he's had assault charges from neighbors and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's had his issues. But, you know, here, at least going back to John Carpenter's Halloween, I think both of them, you know, in, in these roles are pretty good for kid actors. I think they do oh, yeah. well. Yeah, it worked. I think Brian Andrews worked. And he was a fairly known actor as far as he was in some fairly you know, good roles as far as before this. So he wasn't a newcomer. And seeing him in this role, like that scene where he's at the window and he does that. We still don't know what he was saying when he's like, I love that scene. I mean, that was so innocent, but that's the way a kid would react. So I was like, you don't teach that. That was just a normal reaction to being scared. And I'm like, perfect. No, that worked. Like, I loved it. I, I agree. I thought, Jackson, what do you think? Did, did the kids sell it? Uh, I thought the kid acting was fine. I think it, it was, it was, I mean, I wasn't blown away by it. I wasn't like, Oh, I mean this, these kids are going to go far. Um, but, uh, but, but you didn't yeah. think Lindsay was going to make it after the, the, <laughs> the laundry scene. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't sure about that. And, um, I, I, de- well, I definitely didn't think I wasn't like, Oh, Lindsay, fantastic actor. She's going to be a reality star. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I love, I, I, I just love knowing that, that, um, on set, probably their parents were right there. They're like, okay, now Mr. Carpenter is yeah. going to have you do this. You know, we got three minutes left in the day. We're kind of burning film here. Um, which by the way, I can't even imagine working with kid actors is, is rough already, but when you're a low budget, uh, low oh. budget production and you have to pay for film working with kid actors must be really not fun. <laughs> Which is probably why, honestly, the more I think about it, older movies have worse kid acting because they're like, it doesn't matter. We can only we can only do the one take. 
let's just let's just get it over with. We're we're, we're burning money here. I, I never thought about that before, but um, but I yeah, just... her kid from House by the Cemetery. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. Bob is that his name? The little kid. Bob. <laughs> oh man, um, and I think a lot of that comes down to the dub, but but <laughs> holy crap. Yeah, they should have taken. They should maybe just recast. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, Bob, but maybe just recast. <laughs> well, so then we get to, you know, Michael. He's already had, of course, a couple kills, um, but then he goes at it, right? He goes at Annie. He goes at Bob. He goes at Linda. He's, you know, now he's 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 at it. Um, but here's the thing: for a horror movie, an iconic horror movie. From 1978, Bay of Blood had already been there, all that kind of stuff. Wizard of Gore, Herschel Gordon Lewis had been out there. Very little blood. I mean, the bloodiest kill is Judas, isn't it, Greg? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's Judith. There's uh, a little bit of blood with uh, the... the uh, ah, where he got the... mechanic the, or whatever. Yeah, where he comes yeah. yeah, and Annie, suppose, I mean, Annie has some blood, but you don't really see blood so no. I, no there's like zero in this movie i think the biggest blood scene might be a bloody nose or something i don't know yeah it's like texas chainsaw massacre it's got the reputation but the gore's not there it's more about the suspense absolutely jackson what about you were you disappointed by that or no no not at all i mean um and again this is a this is a proto slasher this is a, the classier version before they move into the how can we kill people you know what can we get away with with the ratings board um this didn't have to didn't have to worry about that um while while it it is i wouldn't say it's a it's a pg-13 by today's standards because there is nudity um it is as far as violence goes this could be a pg-13 um uh, movie because the, the the violence is all um either in the dark or it's like we see him attack and then we cut off screen and just see their body later um they do a lot of that i think that the most gruesome not the bloodiest but maybe the most gruesome kill is is bob um but there's no blood in that at all i mean he's completely in shadow um so yeah that's definitely not bloody it is like you said like texas chainsaw although i think texas chainsaw probably has a little bit more gore than this if i'm um, if i'm remembering correctly not much not much yeah. you just don't see much in texas yeah chainsaw. You just don't True. See and that was and again that was five years earlier so um yeah. at this point that's not what slashers were going for uh like i said it was you know once we get into the 80s that that really explodes. I mean, the early '80s, they were just really pushing the limits of what they could show, um, but not not here. It's it's taken the higher road, you know. Michael Michael is is he he's efficient. He's not showy. He's efficient. Yeah. And do you guys have? I, I think I know what the answer to this is. Maybe from all three. Maybe I'm wrong. Do you have a favorite kill? They're not that many, but do you have a favorite kill? Greg, is, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I mean it's it's got to be Bob, you know. Yes. Played through the chest that is ridiculous if you really look at it in a <laughs> in a, a perspective of reality. Like, okay, you got a regular butcher kitchen knife yeah. going through a man's chest into a wall, and he's able to hold him up there with a knife. Come on, <laughs> but, maybe that's why he knocks his head because it's like, look oh, at that. <laughs> look at it. Yeah, wait, is he going to fall? Wait, no, wait, for it, wait, wait. Okay, he's good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that scene in itself, I mean, is my favorite bar none. I mean, so good. I agree 100%. That's mine too. Jackson? 
Uh, well, first of all, I want to say Michael could sure hang a painting. I'm sure he could. He could. <laughs> you, you need something hung up. He could do it. Um, but uh, my favorite kill is actually not my, my favorite kill is um, Annie's uh, kill in the oh. car. I love that just the way it's presented, where like she gets into the car. It's cold, but she see, but there's been a warm body in the car, and you see the condensation on the inside of the window, and then and then he springs up from behind her. I love that kill, kind of referenced in Halloween 2018 with a little kid, um, when he gets jumped up from behind in the car. But I think that's my favorite. It's not gr- it's not gruesome or as gruesome or as iconic as as Bob's kill, which I do. I love that, just that image of him cocking his head, kind of like a, like a dog. You know, he's just which ironically, Michael eats dogs. Maybe that's why you are what you eat. Anyways, um, uh, um. But uh, is that literal? Did he actually eat that dog, or is or is uh, is Loomis saying like he needed to kill something? Like I, I, when I was little, I took it as he's eating that. He's literally eating that dog, or is he saying he needed to kill something, so he just killed the dog to like? No, I think he does get hungry. I think he's still got a human dimension to him. I think they would have noticed. In 15 years of captivity, if like the guy never ate or peed or pooped or anything, no, I'm not I saying that. I'm saying that. like, did could he eat anything other than the dog? Maybe he just killed the dog and with well, eating something he else. He is driving, but he doesn't talk, so he's not going through a drive-through. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if he Pull did, it would be chicken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where would Michael go to the drive-through? He would. Yeah. I, I don't know. Taco Bell. What's 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 Michael like? But yeah. um, and I was thinking it would be like if he went through a drive-through, it'd be like um, dude, where's my car? It's like, and then they're like, can you place your order now, Michael? And it's just it's not saying anything. Some kind of Morse code on the microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's what he, it's what he'd have to do. Do some ASL. He does it in sign language. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he actually ate that dog, I guess, um, which is disturbing. Uh, which makes me wonder, like the rest of the movies, is he just eating dog off screen? Is that <laughs> implied that that's what he's doing whenever we're not seeing Michael? I uh, don't want to think about that. Anyways, um, yeah, my favorite kill was Annie's. Um, but Bob is definitely visually the, the most, uh, iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can't argue with that. So let's talk about the ending before we open it up. Um, Dr. Loomis shoots him, you know, she's gone, he's gone back and forth with Jamie Lee. They're fighting back and forth. She keeps dropping. And Jamie Lee says this in the commentary, like the number one question, Greg, I know, you know, the answer to this, but so I'm gonna ask Jackson, Jackson, what do you think the number one question Jamie Lee Curtis gets about Halloween? Why? I, I mean, I was asking. I was screaming at the screen. I was like, I was like, uh, like Randy and and scream. I was like, why you keep dropping the knife? <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's it. That's the number one question she gets. And she asks John, "Why did I drop the knife?" And John Carpenter basically gives two answers. He says, "One, you thought you killed him." She's like, "Oh, okay." And she and then it's like a second later, John Carpenter goes. And two, we wouldn't have had a movie if you didn't. <laughs> right. If she had, if she had like a Nia DaCosta's Candyman, if she had done, pulled like a Brianna, uh, yeah, there would be no Halloween two. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or in Halloween, yeah. when she's crawling and she can't scream until he shuts the door. And, ah! and all of a sudden she's got a voice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> See, yeah. But that's for y'all's next episode. So I'll shut up. <laughs> but, he's, but if you ever do Halloween three, I'm there, buddy. <laughs> you got it. It may be next Halloween, but we'll do it. But it's um, we're big fans of the stash. Um, but, you know, he shoots him and Dr. Luma shoots Michael Myers. Michael falls off the balcony. And then, you know, Donald Pleasance walks up and looks down after having the back and forth with Jamie Lee Curtis. It was the boogeyman. 
and looks down and, you know, Donald Pleasance basically said, I can play this one of two ways. I knew it or I'm shocked. And Donald Pleasance chose to do it. I knew it. And this is one of the things that's so great about his acting in this movie is you buy it. I mean, when he looks down, he sees it. You just almost see, feel like him sighing and going, I knew it. I love that. I absolutely love that. Jackson, what about you? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that was the right choice uh, for him to go with that because all throughout the movie he's been talking about how he's not human, he's evil, he's evil incarnate. Um, so yeah, that 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 was a wise choice. I think if he had looked surprised and we end the movie on that, like whoa, it's da da da, they'd have a little sting, and it's like it's like not even Loomis knew that was gonna happen. I'd be like okay, right. but the fact that he knows, I mean, he spent 15 years with this kid, right? I mean, uh, he 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 knows what he's capable of. Um, yeah, that, 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 that was definitely the right call. I think that it's maybe undermined a little bit because in Halloween two, he seems more manic. He's, he's running around. I shot him six times. He's just screaming yeah. to everybody. Like, and of course they're all telling him nobody can survive six shots. I'm saying you missed. Uh, but I think if he had played it more like accepting in part two, like right off the start, the start, like he survived you know get your men look for them now for him now you know if he had been more like focused but then again we're talking about donald pleasant here every single movie kept coming back he wanted to be more and more more and more eccentric um but uh yeah anyways i i th- as far as halloween one goes in the ending of that wise choice from from carpenter and, and pleasant to make to make because that again that makes loomis seem more competent like he knows what he's doing he shot him just to get him away from jamie lee he knew he was he was going to get back up and what did you can you re- remember, Greg, like nine year old you seeing that ending and then hearing the breathing why oh. they just flip through different parts of, you know, the house and the street and so forth. Did you get any sleep that night, bub? No, no. Because <laughs> all I could think about was looking around in my bedroom thinking, oh, my goodness, like, is he in here? Because, <laughs> you know, clearly it's like showing every place that he had been and the mm-hmm. places he had done action at and i'm sitting here in my mind thinking oh my gosh you know sheets over the head you know like please don't let him be over here you know <laughs> this is, yeah this is creepy man like where did he go where did he disappear to oh man yeah yeah jackson what did you think of that the breathing and the different shots uh, yeah i think that's 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 a fantastic way to, to end the movie uh, showing the the final girl circuit um, minus the final girl, um, yeah, I, I love that. Just um, and the thing that I think this movie does really well that a lot of people don't talk about is like locations. We know where everything is on Lori's block, right? Like mm-hmm. we know where everything is in relation to each other, especially if you've seen it more than once. You know where Michael's going. You know where Lori's going. You know like where Annie's house. You know ev- you know where everything is. Um, so yeah, I, I love that, and then and then establishing shots at the end. But much, I guess, um, it probably would have been a little bit more, uh, a little bit more not scary, but a little bit more classical and serious if it had just been the text, you know, the 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 credits rolling. Uh, but I like stuff to look at during the credits, so uh, <laughs> I, like, I like that. I always like when they have outtakes or whatever. I think outtakes would have ruined Halloween if we put outtakes. Yes. Yeah, we don't but, need Anchorman or Anchorman right, or Spooky in the Bandit yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. But like it, in comedies, I like it when they do that kind of thing. But in a horror movie, yeah, sure, give me some or like like the way that um, Ari Aster does it with like little visuals, like runes and stuff from the movie. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we talked about the music; it's iconic. 
I have to say, Jackson and I are, I think we're still on the same page here. I actually prefer, even though I love, I love the score to Halloween, the piano score. Don't get me wrong. I do kind of prefer the synthesizer score from Halloween 2. Yeah. Um, which Carpenter did as well. I, I, I think that's kind of creepy. I used to put together, um, younger folks, you can Google it. I used to do these things called um, uh, mixtapes uh, <laughs> back in the late 80s and 90s. And, and I, I used to have a Halloween thing I would do because I would throw a Halloween party every year. And the, the lead track was Halloween 2, the synthesizer version of the score from Halloween 1. But how amazing is this music, man? I mean, just incredible. Greg, I mean, it, it, I'd be shocked if this isn't your ringtone, dude. It used to be, but now with iPhone, you know, iPhone's a little different than Android, and you got whatever, you know. Yeah. iPhone, I hate you. But uh, <laughs> no, when I had Android, it totally was Halloween. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I would do different versions, as you mentioned. You know, some days it might be the original, sometimes number two. I'd even throw in Halloween 4 sometimes. I mean, I had all kinds of ringtones. But, uh, and it is unusual. I'm glad you mentioned that, because I think, you know, some people may not realize how subtly different each movie's tone yep. was, even though it was John Carpenter's theme. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it was little, little ambiances that he put in there. That like, okay, he didn't do this in the first one. I mean, let's. Oh, wait, that's different. All right, all right, I got you. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, he even did that with Halloween 2018, right? I mean, you get exactly. like he's yeah. I loved how the twists and turns he took with the music in Halloween. 2018 but jackson are you you and i still on that level do we still prefer to you and i or or where you at yeah i'm 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 more of a two guy because i well i like the it's kind of an intro you know the one with two it like builds up uh it's like real bassy and slow and then it builds up and builds up and builds up and then it like it's like you can't even hear anything it's just like shrieking and then and then it's it all strips away and it's just the one synth part i love that I think that that uh, that Mr. Carpenter, you know, he really he orchestrated the crap out of out of that version. But I, I love the original soundtrack too. And again, made in four days. And and even though I prefer the the theme from Halloween too, it's the same melody, you know, it's the, it's the same notes. Um, so just the fact that he was able to write all these iconic things in four days and and perform it all himself and mix it was just just incredible um i but i love the whole soundtrack like i listen to this all the time um i love like like laurie's theme or the haddonfield theme like just that that soft piano or like that little that little sting we hear whenever something scary happens in the background that do do you know that sound um i love that and there's different versions of the of the main theme throughout the movie too like there's there's one where it's like it's like the the main theme from the opening credits, but it's more hurried. And then there's and there's like a, like white noise, like shrieking at the beginning, like like kind of uh, it's like when Michael was attacking. That's his theme. So I, I just love it. I think it's fantastic. And there are motifs in it. It's like it's like Halloween has soundtrack motifs. You wouldn't expect that for, from an early slasher. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it just all builds. It builds the mood of the mood of the movie well. I can't even imagine this with another soundtrack, like an ambient, more ambient, or like a orchestral score. I I don't think it would fit this movie. Mm-mm. Yeah, I agree. So, what else do we want to talk about? I I know we could gush about this for 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 hours, but uh, Jackson, I know you've got notes. So, what else do you have on there that you want to talk about about John Carpenter's Halloween? 
Uh, well, first of all, I want to, I had a little quippy, uh, thing I just thought of, cause you were talking about, we were talking about how Michael isn't, isn't, uh, really human. I got to ask though, who's more human, Michael Myers or Bruce the shark? Uh, they both have <laughs> black eyes, the devil's eyes, but who's more human? I'm going with Bruce the shark. I mean, I think Bruce the shark feels pain. I'm not sure Michael does. <laughs> Greg, you want to try to tackle that one, buddy? <laughs> yeah. How do I argue? No, Michael. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> I yeah, I gotta go with Michael because I I I'm yeah. Uh, you gotta understand. See, this is where the one area where I raised you wrong, Jackson. I've tried to. I've told you this since you were a kid. Every summer you go to the beach, right? And every summer you go in the ocean, <laughs> and you might as well just like you know put some fruit in your mouth and and some you know syrup on your back and just be like yeah. come and get it um you know i've said this before folks the beach i love going to the beach but i don't get the water it's the nope. biggest marketing scam of all time it, it look if we were to be honest like if myrtle beach and other places they run ads like they do up here in ohio they'd be like you know hey come down and get into cold water filled with fish poop and man-eating animals. You'd be like, no. We go, come to the beach. Like, yay. No, you don't go into the water, man. I yeah. mean, look, at, no, you, you you stay out of their territory. That belongs to the sharks. But Michael Myers, you can't get away from, man. Yeah. Okay, you I, know? I've, got, I've got one argument with that, okay, as okay. to why Bruce is more human, okay. more, uh, more, more human than, than Michael, right? You are what you eat. Michael eats dogs. Bruce eats people. There you go. Uh, uh, I, in conclusion, I, you will be hearing, I will be writing a dissertation on this topic. Don't worry. It's 100 <laughs> okay. pages right now. Bruce right. is 50% is, is more human than Michael Myers. This well, Jordan, um, Peele was at, Jordan Peele argued kind of tongue-in-cheek. That Halloween was not the first slasher. The first slasher was Jaws 2. That the shark in Jaws 2 is as much of a slasher as yeah. any slasher in any slasher movie. I'm I not mean, sure you yeah. meant that, but, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, this, in Jaws 2, when, when the shark has, has the body count, and he's just, he is a comical slasher villain, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there is an argument to be made about that. I mean, I would say Black Christmas or, or Texas Chainsaw, but but that's that's okay, Mr. Piotz. Uh, we'll, we'll go with Jaws, too. I like that movie. Michael's uh, more human. No, he does. You can knock his eye out, even though he regains his eyesight for part two. When he's unmasked, he does have his eye gouged out. He, he, he Yeah, he does get knocked down, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, whereas a shark, I mean, they tell you if you hit it in its snout that it'll back mm -hmm. off. But Quint hit it everywhere with a machete, and Bruce was sure did. Yeah, yeah. And another thing is, like, they say you kick it in its nose and it'll back off, but can't sharks only move forward? So uh, I think it's coming after you no matter what. See what I another lie. You just exposed yeah, I think another that's just lie. yeah. I think that's just to make it feel better. It's like bear spray. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I, I think bear spray is a effective don't don't not take bear spray with you i'm just saying like if you kick a shark i don't think that's gonna i don't think that's gonna do much because like their gills dictate they can only go forward anyways uh yeah but that that's my little my little quip i had written down while we were talking uh and another thing uh i was i was writing this while i was, I was watching it like i said it's 85 minutes i can't stop gushing about that because it feels so classy it feels so like it builds suspense but it's only 85 minutes that's a really tight script and i wrote this in my notes 
all, all movies should be 85 minutes long. It's a perfect length for a movie. And then I wrote, I wrote like an edit 10 minutes later. I thought about myself. I thought about it a little bit more. I was like, nah, okay. Maybe hold off on that. Not all things should be 85 minutes. All movies that really should be 85 minutes should actually be 85 minutes. That was what I what I ended up on. Uh, and Halloween. I was gonna say you're a big fan of like you're a big yeah. fan of Midsummer, so yeah. I like Midsummer. I like uh, The Green Knight recently as an A24 one. Uh, I like Lord of the Rings movies. I don't have a problem with long movies, but if a movie should be 85 minutes, it should be 85 minutes. Don't. <laughs> okay. And that's that Halloween should be 85 minutes. The, the, the TV edit, as fascinating as it is to me, I don't think we need a scene with Laurie's friend borrowing, borrowing a, a blouse, okay? This movie perfectly is perfectly edited. The perfect amount, okay? This is a perfect, perfect movie. And I'll turn it over to Greg. Because I'm sure he agrees with me. <laughs> I totally agree with you. Perfect face, man. Uh, what about you, Greg? Anything you want to bring up before we wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, the only thing would be the the three things. John Carpenter was key to this movie. Yeah. Okay. Without John Carpenter's score and Deborah Hill and his script and and ambience there, Michael Myers, of course, Jamie Lee. But I think the unsung hero, and it has been mentioned many times, is Dean Cundiff. I think the cinematography, the lighting of this movie, without having lighting, I mean, it's the subtle, you know, shadowing of what they did with Michael Myers that makes this movie. I think without Dean Cundiff, this movie Uh, would have been lacking so much. The dimmer switch, the use of the dimmer switch when Michael Myers is, like, moving out of the shadows towards Laurie Strode is just... Yeah, and you're talking about, look, you know, Friday 13th, which is going to be shot just a year after this comes out, has mm-hmm. hundred uh, over $100,000 more, you know, in cash. And as much as I love Friday 13th, it's not shot anywhere near as well as this movie. And, of course, that's why Dean Cundy goes on to shoot Back to the Future and all this other kind of stuff, because he's just a brilliant cinematographer. Yes, like his his go and look at his cinematography, you know, as far as his labels. And, I mean, this dude's done it all. And rightfully so. I mean, you've seen it right here. Like he is a a genius when it comes to cinematography. He sees things that you know a normal person just cannot see. And and when we lose him, we're going to lose a lot. Right? Uh, yeah. He is such. I, I follow him on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere I can. I mean, that that dude's a genius. And yeah. and I think seven. I would give him seventy five percent of the success of Halloween is his cinematography. Man, I do bar none. I'm getting it's like. It's like that thing with like John Williams is the reason that Indiana Jones and Star Wars. I mean, he's he's the reason those movies are are so loved, I think, because it's so iconic. I mean, the look of this movie, this doesn't look like a student film. You know, this doesn't look like a low budget movie. This no. looks like a big studio thing, um, which is just I mean, and, and the thing I was reading is that the average age of the of the cast and crew was only 26 across the board. Yeah. Now, like obviously John Carpenter was was nearing thirty. Jamie Lee was was nineteen. But the like that average, you know, really kind of like puts the pressure on my filmmaking my filmmaking place. I mean, if I don't roll out three features by by twenty twenty nine, I should basically just give up because John Carpenter did just just that uh, back when you had to pay out of your pocket every time you take a fl- you you flub yeah. flub up a, a take. But um, but yeah, that's the the look of this movie just so fantastic. You right got to find yourself a Dean Cundy. Yeah, I guess yeah, so. Seventy-five percent back. Let me give him fifty percent. 
Because okay. I have to give 25 to music and 25 to the rest of it. Right. So we go 50%. Yeah. All right. So there you go, Dean. You get 50% of the reason. <laughs> but, I, I can't argue with that. But yeah, Jackson, you find somebody can shoot a movie like Dean Cundy. You pay them whatever they want. You don't yeah. let them go anywhere. That's, you know, John Carpenter's biggest mistake was that he let Dean, he let Dean Cundy go to Robert Zemeckis and never saw him again, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep <laughs> yeah. him on retainer. Find a good DP, keep him on retainer, I guess. That's is the, right. That's the, uh, the idea. Yeah. The, I, I cannot make digital look good. I'm definitely going to have to get somebody that, that knows how to shoot stuff right. And yeah, definitely John should have kept, should have kept Dean. I mean, that's back to why the, Quentin Tarantino still shoots on film, man. He's right. like, it just, it just doesn't look right. Yeah, I mean, Back to the Future looks great, but John's movies definitely should have kept Dean Cundy on there. Uh, I think that would have been great. And uh, and yeah, the Halloween 1 and 2, they both look so high yeah. class. I mean, they don't look like a down and dirty, low budget slasher. They look like a like a seminal movie. Mm -hmm. Well, and The Fog and Escape from New York, I believe as well. I mean, they all look great. I mean, they're just 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 great movies. But definitely. all right. I know this is going to be redundant. <laughs> On uh, a scale of one to ten, <laughs> what would you give this movie, Greg? Twenty. Um, Twenty. <laughs> I like to go out of the box, man. I never could color in the. In the I always had to go out. No, nah, it's a ten, dude. Far none. Best movie yeah. of all time, any genre, any film. Halloween is the greatest movie of all time. Uh, it's in my top five. It's my number three. It's my number three. Well, I can't. Uh, I know Psycho is your favorite, so I can't argue, dude. I can't. Psycho's number one, and Jaws is number two, and Halloween's number three. Okay. So, you know, it's got it's in good company, and Jaws is I I, I think a, a darn near perfect film, and Psycho changed my life, so that is the way it works. But I I, I love this. It's a ten out of ten. Buy it. Go get the Shout Factory uh, Blu-ray that's coming out. I pre-ordered it. I pre-ordered all five of them. I guess it was, um, and so that's on its way. You're getting out. Oh, right. Yep. I, I'm getting all of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I spent way oh. too much money, almost 300 bucks on it. So I got all of it. I got all of it coming. So, oh, well. So, Jackson, you're always the harshest critic. Mm. Mm. I'm giving Halloween 1978 to start mm. off our franchise review. Here we go. I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. Uh, oh, <laughs> not because I tried to throw you off there with, with a little in putting that content in there but it's it, not because it's a technically perfect film okay we, we can pick it apart all day long it's a 10 out of 10 because and this is what I wrote in my first Letterboxd review of Halloween it's an infinitely rewatchable triumph of independent cinema that dictated the direction that the entire genre would go in for the next 20 years after its release and I think that definitely describes Halloween I mean this is quite possibly other than psycho because psycho influenced halloween so this is quite possibly the most influential horror movie of all time like i said for 20 years after it i mean even into scream right it was influencing and new movies being well, made yeah kevin williamson he he loves halloween halloween's yeah. all through scream right and so yeah uh yeah folks if you've never seen this shame on you it's streaming on shutter or amc plus or whatever but you should just buy it just just if you've never seen it go buy it i know you all have if you have like the older blu-ray or dvd get the new one you know get the new one from shout factory because it looks fantastic so 
Folks, stick around. You may know what movie is coming next, but stick around to hear who is joining us for it. And we want to thank all of our supporters over at Patreon, helping Jackson to get through film school. Plus, you can be a guest. You can vote on our polls. You get early access to Jackson's videos. You get a vote on our horror Oscar show. So you can go over there and start for as little as $2.50 a month. You can also find us on Twitter at FatherSonHorror or our website, FatherAndSonWatchHorror.com. And we have a closed Facebook group and an Instagram account, though I rarely update that. Greg, in case we have new listeners, because everyone should know Land of the Creeps, but where can they find you, buddy? Uh, Landofthecreeps.blogspot.com is where the podcast sits. Uh, you can follow us over at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, all those good places. Jackson Pearl has said it just a while ago. She texted me, and I'm saying it right now. You have officially been brought into the mortis family so you know i know i know matt is your father and i can never take the place of your father but i'm just saying Earl and i are right there buddy you you, you one of us boy that's <laughs> you, you are officially the godfather correct there you godfather go. and godmother there you go so and yeah and you guys did because there are so many episodes of land of the creep land of the creep out there in fact you guys did a commentary on halloween once correct yes yes I can't even remember what episode that was. I, it was early on. It was way early, but it, it's due. It's due again. We need to redo it because we're going to do Elm Street for our Halloween bonus episode, Pearl and I. So, um, you know, it's due again, and we'll have to bring you guys on, and we'll talk about it. There again. we go. But you guys, yeah, go to his website, and you can go back. It's early on. It's like in the first, like, 20 30 episodes i think where you did the halloween and maybe 40 or 50 but i think it's in there, in there where you did the halloween commentary i know that you were on there that uh, haddonfield hatchet was on there you guys talking and and so it's great you guys need to check that out but of course you need to subscribe to land of the creeps you need to give it a five-star review on itunes and you need to tweet darcy that it deserves a silver bolo award right jackson well, yeah, that's what I've been doing the past two years. That's that's, yeah. all, that's all I've been doing. Okay, I've been sitting by the computer to stay day and night. Uh, just just mess. She's blocked me on every account. I just can't get. I'm just kidding. Uh, Darcy would never. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, we're trying to. We're trying to. Of course, they film uh, Joe Bob's in advance, so we'll have no idea until it happens. Uh, likely. Yeah, right? I didn't know that till you and and Dave Becker brought that up when we were at yeah. Joe Bob's Jamboree that they film it way and it's not live. I thought it was either live or like a, a maybe a, a delay. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I didn't know, but yeah, it was. Yeah, that was a shock. So we, you know, and one of the episodes was the night filmed after we left, right? Yep. So, which they filmed at the Mahoning. So, Jackson, where can they find you online, buddy? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. Um, you can also find my YouTube and my letterbox links from there. Um, so yeah, you can find all that linked in my, in my profile. I've been, haven't been uploading so much to the YouTube channel because I'm working on Patreon videos and editing the podcast right now. And of course, full-time, uh, um, school that's, that's going on for me right now. Yeah. But, uh, I've been keeping busy, but I, I always have time to talk horror movies on Twitter. 
And you also always have to reserve a spot in the library at uh, yes. the university you're at so you can record. So. This week, this week I'm in the music school. I'm in the 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 um, school music because I was just testing this out. Uh, so far, it's worked out okay. Earlier in the day, there was somebody playing the violin in the room directly adjacent to me. <laughs> so um, maybe that's not the best. But um, yeah, so I'll be in the library or the or the the school music recording when I can. It's it's definitely uh, harder to record, but this, I need this, man. This is my this is my time to decompress just to talk about horror movies with some good friends and talk about good movies it's always always a blast that's right and so i'm on twitter and letterboxd as pastor matt r and so greg thank you again for joining us you and pearl are the best folks next up halloween 2 from 1981 with jody branham a first time guest will be on yeah so all right, folks, thanks for listening again. Tune in for number uh, our second installment in the Halloween franchise review. Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember to keep listening, because I feel like by the time we get to our Halloween resurrection review, we're going to need to be admitted to uh, the real Smith Grove Sanitarium ourselves, and you're not going to want to miss that. <laughs> uh, that's only because of part six, but anyway. <laughs> but thanks for listening, and until next time, remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon, Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Ryan Bratton, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corpy, James McFeeders, Ashley Pinkard, Greg Amortis and Pearl from Land of the Creeps, Raul Rivera, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all so much. You make this podcast possible. Black eyes, like a doll's eye. Hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there.